So, do all things really work together for the good? And if so, what is the good? Next up on this episode of the Kingdom Project Podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to a new episode. I'm your host, Marcus Hall. We are continuing on this little study of keeping things in context, putting them back into context, reading the Bible the way it was meant to be read and then understanding it the way it was meant to be understood. Unfortunately, this has been lost for many, many people over the years, especially in the Western evangelical, I guess, civilization, if you will. And it's meant to be read uh, as if it was written hot off the press and given to you. But that's not the case. The Bible wasn't written to you or to me, but instead written for you and me. What does that mean? It means that a lot of times we get interpretation and application mixed up and think that whatever you get out of the verse will be obviously be different than what I get out of the verse. Therefore, there's multiple interpretations, but that's not the case. That is actually application. And sometimes even that gets wrong. <laughs> so that's why we're doing this. Shorter episodes based on popular verses that are used out of context many, many times. We've all done it. You know, we we all do it. We all have done it. Okay, so you've heard it a hundred times, a thousand times, me too. Uh, or we've even said it like, don't worry, everything's going to work out just fine. Right. Okay. So it's just, the sediment is not new. Okay. Um, here's the thing we're going to, let me just read it. It's Romans eight 28. Okay. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's usually what it said. The rest of the text says, for those who are called according to his purpose. All right. So let's move up and then we'll just move down and see what it says. All right. So 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined. He also called And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he has glorified. All right. That's immediate context right there. Okay. So Romans 8, powerful, powerful chapter by Paul. All right. Here's the thing. The ancient Greeks and Romans uttered something similar to the children, knowing that their words were actually hollow and shallow. But Apostle Paul 
uses this and says something like this. And the difference is that Paul did not write a blank statement. He conditioned it with important qualifiers, and he defined the good as other than comfort and wealth, right? So if we if if we look at it in context in context we're going to understand its intent. All right? So the overall the overall context of Romans 8:28 is one that Paul addresses living by the power of the spirit in the midst of suffering and pain. Paul's no stranger to this. We know that. He beating he got beat up. He was in prison, the persecutions and all that type of stuff that went on. Okay, so in the immediate context, okay, as I just read, Paul expresses these prerequisites for the good to take place, that we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. He's So first off, he's not giving this promise to all people, all right? It's to those who love God who are called. So what does that mean? We should know that, obviously. Those who love God are, in this context, Christians because they are called according to God's purpose, all right? The called are also justified who will be glorified, all right? Now, some will take, you're going to get into, now here's where we get into some of the, looking at the Greek, okay? And just understanding grammar, all right? Who th- that phrase "who love," all right? Those who love God, the who love, all right? Who love? It's a pr- it's a present participle, okay? And so, therefore, some will take that as a temporal condition, as if to say, as long as you love God and continue to love God at all times, things work out. But whenever you're not loving God, then things do not work out for your good. All right? That doesn't play out, though. All right? And I'll explain that. Firstly, the tense here, the way it's constructed, is something, it's a nomic present. Okay? And what that means is that it indicates a characteristic rather than a temporal condition, all right? Secondly, the following verses, all right, 29 through 30, they speak of our conformity to Christ, our glorification, um, as the actual inevitable outcome of those who love God. That's to say that that is not dependent on how much we love God, but... It's completely dependent on the finished work of Christ on the cross. All right. Paul concludes the, the, the chapter then by making this explicit that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And by that implication, then that would include even our temporary lapses that may come in our love for the Savior. And I'm not going to say that there's times where you know you just probably don't love God, but there may be confusion. There may be something where you're just like, you know, people are always like, well, I just haven't really been up to snuff this week in my relationship with the Lord. 
Well, that's just temporal. It doesn't matter. All right? It's never dependent on your love for the Lord. It's all been dependent uh, uh, dependent on the finished work of Jesus. Okay? That's what it is. That nothing can separate us from the love of God because God's loving us all the time. It doesn't matter what type of mood you're in. That's the point of that. It's not temporal, all right? It's a characteristic, not a temporal condition. So it doesn't matter if you're angry or you're mad or you're whatever. So now we move on then to what is the good, okay? And it's defined for us in verse 29, initially, uh, at least that one, one, it's one of the forgotten verses of Scripture because those those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. All right. Uh, I'm not going to get into the whole different things of predestination and things like that, but just knowing before the foundations of the world, uh, the son was slain and uh, we were all going to be reconciled to God through Jesus. Okay. So the good is not our comfort. It's not our wealth. It's not our health. All right, it's conformity to Jesus. That's what it is right there. What is the good? To, to be conformed to the image of a son. And then it's fully defined that those who predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So ultimately, all things work together to bring each believer into conformity to Jesus to bring each of us into glory. And so Paul is so certain about this that he speaks of the glorification in the past tense. Right? He justified uh, all, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's not a future glorification. He's so, so, so certain about this that it's spoken as done. So th- this is called a proleptic uh, aorist, <laughs> which is the device in the Greek language that when an author is indicating that it's as good as done, that it's done, it's accomplished, all right? And so even more, n- no one is lost between that, uh, pre- that calling and that glorification. Paul doesn't say that some or most when describing each save of this this salvific journey from being called to being glorified he uses the term those and that repeated pronoun refers back to the entire group that was mentioned before no one no one in christ misses the mark along the way and i don't i don't mean miss the mark as in sin no one like misses out on the the justification the glorification so when we read romans 8 28 in context then we can give a positive answer to the questions of the pain and the suffering in the world we may not see anything good come from uh, misery or disaster and things like that but this world is not all of the reality right this is not it there is eternity there is an until right there is a place beyond this that our senses um of what our senses can 
apprehend. It's more real, it's more lasting than what we experience here in our bodies. God is using the present, even though at times it's bad, to conform us to the image of his son. So if we define the good as only what can be seen or experienced in this life or material, right, material or health or wealth, um, and is some sort of good consequence for some sort of bad thing that just happened, then we totally miss the whole point of this text. All right. Because you have to look that Paul earlier in this chapter said, for I consider that our present sufferings cannot be, uh, can, cannot even be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. All right. We in America are, are prone then to take something like this and twist it and mess it up and make it now for material or uh, physical things. If our lives are comfortable, right? If everything's going good, um, that's all fine and well. Um, But we want to think that it's our health and our wealth that God has given us. But it is not. It is not the good that Paul had in mind. And it is not the end goal of the Christian life. All right. If you have any questions, comments, disagreements, you can totally send them my way at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com or leave a comment in the link of wherever you're listening. Until next time, know what the good is. Leave it in context, my friends.